I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to the Utah Puck Report. Man, we're glad to be here. Uh, Today it's just me in the studio, but I've got a very special guest that takes up a lot of time to interview. That's why we have to dedicate the entire time to Richard Shaky Krause. Shaky, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. (laughs) Yeah, that's. I'm sure it is. uh, Shaky, for those that don't know, you've been uh, you've been an equipment manager in the NHL and uh, in in hockey for how many years now? I uh, just finished my twenty sixth season. Twenty six seasons, and you were in Utah, I believe, from two thousand one to two thousand five. Is that about right? Yep, that's yes, that's correct. Yep, four four years. And that was when they were in the AHL. And were they the Islanders affiliate the whole time you were here? No, I came to Utah because they were the Stars affiliate. All right, okay, okay. So let's yeah. let's uh, let's start from the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from um, a little town in upstate New York called Rome. Okay, and I was born born and raised there. Rome is like ten minutes uh, west of Utica, so I started out in the American Hockey League as a locker room attendant. My friend was the uh, head equipment manager and he uh, got me in and I just started out when I was 15 filling water bottles uh, going down after school every day cleaning folding towels etc and then when I graduated high school they offered me a full-time job as an assistant wow so like were you a hockey fan before this or a hockey player or did you just how did how did that start I I played some high school hockey but we didn't really have the, the school I went to didn't have a team. There was uh, 55 kids in my graduating class. And uh, so we had, when I first started going, we used to go watch the old Mohawk Valley Comets in the Atlantic Hockey League. Oh, wow. And then the American Hockey League came, and it was the New Jersey Devils affiliate. And they came to Utica for the 87-88 season, and they stayed until 92-93. So when we used to go to the Atlantic Hockey League, tickets were like, Five dollars, you could sit on the glass, and then the American Hockey League came, and it went to like eighteen dollars to sit on the glass. But my dad would still take us. We had tickets like two rows off the glass, season tickets, and then eventually, when I got that uh, job helping out, they gave me tickets. So then my dad said it was great because then he didn't have to buy tickets. Plus, I got paid, so it <laughs> yeah. worked out even better. Yeah, that's the that's the best part, right? 
That's my favorite thing with the Grizzlies is that uh, when they bring me in, I don't have to buy a ticket. I get the best seat in the house. It's always nice when you get... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you get to sit right there on the bench. You get to see everything. So uh, Utica, when they were the Devils affiliate, and this is... Some people know this and some people don't, but the legend, Martin Brodeur, uh, had that logo on his helmet, right? That was the U. Yes, that's correct. That turned into the Devil's Tell. And I don't. Was he in Utica about the same time you were, or was that a couple years later? Yeah. Yeah, he was. And he was just a great guy. He was a class act. Like, he was un, unreal. And um, when you'd go to work, once he went to the NHL, even when we used to go work, because the, uh, the Devils moved from Utica to Albany, and we moved, we moved with them because it was only 60 miles down the road but like when we'd go back then the rookie camps weren't in um late they weren't in like they are now late june early july they used to be um the third week of uh, august or the first week of september either right before labor day or right after so like we get to go work with those guys and he was always like he never forgot his his roots or anything his head never got never got big and i was lucky enough to be working with the uh organization and when we went there for the playoffs in 94 or excuse me 95 the american hockey league team won the calder cup in albany and the devils won the stanley cup that year and i was actually on the ice at night wow um, i they used to have us help out like you know the they had the black aces they had the extra guys and then like i used to go out and help out at night for games so it was really cool yeah i was on the ice and we went out that night. I think that party lasted, honest to God, after that game. I don't think I got back to the hotel the next day till like, noon. <laughs> oh, man, I love to hear those. I, I can only imagine the things that went on that night and how much fun that was. And uh, I've got, Oh, my God. I've, I've yes. had the privilege of being a part of a couple of the – like, I've been to three Stanley Cup parties. Um, yes. Uh, two of them that I helped put together for Trevor here in Utah, and then one that was in uh, – was actually – was in New York uh, for George Peros, but uh, it's oh yeah 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 yeah. But it, it's crazy how much fun those are, and that's months after all the adrenaline and you know that emotion of winning the cup. I can't even fathom being there that night and being with the team, and oh, that'd be so cool. I mean, that's got to be the uh, pinnacle was, of all sports, right there. It is, and you know the thing is that year for us, like we won the Calder Cup on May thirty first, which was Memorial Day weekend. And then they sent us to New Jersey like two days later, so we didn't even get to really celebrate the Calder Cup. They made everybody go to New Jersey, and then they broke down and kept the extras, and then we stayed there. So I think I didn't end up leaving New Jersey until like, because that was the year of the the half-year strike. Yeah. So uh, the half-year lockout. I don't think I left New Jersey until like almost July 1st. Wow. Yeah, I, I literally lived out of a suitcase in, 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 in a hotel like – from the end of May until July first. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's just got to be a dream when you're when you're. How old were you when all that was going on? When that when when all that went down, I was twenty one. Wow, that's that's got to be a great way to be twenty one. I just I can't even fathom it. Yep. It's just that's pretty cool. So, um, tell me one thing too before we get too far into your life. Uh, where did, yeah. when did you become shaky? When did that come about and how did that come about? That came about because, um, as you, as you know, if you've seen me, I'm, you know, I'm six foot, but I'm not a very slender human by any means. <laughs> Although I've, 
I have gotten myself down from the days when I was in Salt Lake City. I'm down to like 220 now, but uh, I used to come to the rink every day with, or almost every other day with a milkshake from McDonald's because I love the oh, one that marched okay. with the Shamrock Shakes. So it was pinned on me by a couple of players. Um, one of them was Billy Guerin. The Ooh. other one was Jared Scaldi. They would always say to me, like, you don't have a nickname and you always have a milkshake in your hand. And so we're just going to call you Shaky. Nice. And it stuck with me. And then I'll never forget, I went into Lou Lamarillo's office after I graduated high school. I went to New Jersey, sat down, and he looked at me and goes, okay, Shaky, he goes, we're going to give you a job. And that's he even knew me that. And Charles <laughs> Wong, um, you know, when he was alive and he owned the Islanders, he would literally call me Shaky. Like, he had no idea what my name was. <laughs> well, that's I guess that's a good thing and a bad thing, right? It's it's good to be known. Yeah, it's good to be known. And I'm here at the trainers conference right now, and like that's all everybody that's everybody knows me in the hockey world by that name. Yeah. Well, honestly, yeah. Uh, I think the first few years I knew you, I didn't know your name. I just knew you were shaky, and it, you know. But that's a, yeah. it's that way in hockey. It's that way in the fire department too. We and uh, in my fire department, we had a guy we called Milkshake for the same reason. He that's that was his nickname forever. And it's funny when I interview. Yeah, for- I introduce people to, he, as nicknames, and when they're like, oh, what's his real name? I'm like, uh, uh, I don't know. It takes me too long to think of what their real name is. You got to, he, he probably went to Crownburger, though, to get the good ones. Oh, yeah, probably, probably. That's, uh, that's just one of those things, right? Uh, it's good to have a nickname. It's good to be one of the guys that's cared about enough to have a nickname. Uh, you have a brother that's, that's also, is your brother still in doing equipment? What's he doing now? No, my my no, my brother uh, was with the Stars, and then he was with the Coyotes in their AHL systems. And then he ended up finally. Uh, he's got two boys now. One is uh, thirteen, and the other one is eleven. So he ended up uh, deciding that it was time to grow up. Uh, he stopped it in Portland, Maine. He does real estate there in Portland, Maine. He makes. Uh, he makes like golf putters out of hockey sticks. Oh, I remember and, that. And, yep. Yep, and he's got a nice little ice cream shop up in Gorham, Maine, that he leaves open year round. And he's just he's got so much on the go between the boys and the family. And and I think um, sometimes he'll say he misses it, and then other times he'll be like, eh, you know, I I don't miss it because I'm home for holidays. I'm home for Saturday nights. I'm home for Sundays. I'm I'm not gone, and so. I think he he sometimes he has the itch and then other times he, he doesn't. Yeah, cause that's, because that's you know one thing I yeah. don't think a lot of people know. And I was talking to you about this before is that man, you guys put in a ton of hours to like to be a professional athlete. You put in a lot of hours, right? You come to the rink and you work out, and then you get on the ice and you skate, and then you know you go over video or whatever, and then you leave. But the whole before you get there as an athlete and after you leave as an athlete, your equipment guy's there setting up taking oh, care yeah. pre- so like what's a typical day and then you guys are on the road nonstop, um you know and then it's the same thing on the road you're the first there so what's a typical day like for an equipment manager at home well usually for me like even when i worked in salt lake city i'd beat the rink by seven no later than seven thirty. back then we didn't have interchangeable skate blades like now we do so you can just change them and then sharpen the backup pair, you know, whenever you get a chance. But usually I would be at the rink 7, 7.30, and then usually your first player is rolling in at 
8.30, quarter to 9 usually, and then they always had a morning skate at 10 o'clock or 10.15. And then by the time they're out of there, it's 11.30, and then it's doing laundry, doing towels, um, vacuuming, getting the locker room cleaned up, um, putting out the game laundry, putting out the game socks, putting out the game jerseys, uh, cleaning visors on helmets, um, which everybody you know wears now. You're you're doing that. There's just like a whole uh, a list of things. It's all in your mind. And then of course you're you got some players that want their skates sharpened in the afternoon yep. before games. So you know I like to sharpen everybody in the morning so they can get used to it on the ice. But some guys like it in the afternoon. And then you may have repairs, you know. So I know in Utah, like by the end of the day, it used to be walking in at seven and walking out at like midnight almost. Yeah, and that's a yeah, whole se- that's a whole midnight. season of doing that. And people just don't. I think people don't understand the the work ethic it's got to take to become an equipment manager to to maintain. You got to keep those guys up, and then you get prima donna athletes, which I want to talk to you about, about too, because I think you worked with one of the utmost prima donna goaltenders I've ever known. And I want, oh yeah, <laughs> I want to hear more about him. But um, I, I also want, so tell me more about your time in Utah. What, what are your fondest memories or your your boldest memories about Utah? I'll tell you the one the one thing I loved about Utah is I'd been there so many times because I worked in the old IHL. Like I worked in Orlando as an assistant. I worked in Las Vegas as a head guy, and then I when Las Vegas folded, I went to Houston, and they were with the Stars, and then we moved to. Dallas and I'll never forget I got there in uh, July of that year and the first thing Tim Mauser said to me when I sat down is he goes oh by the way he goes I forgot to tell you too he goes you know it's an Olympic year and I was like oh and he goes the Olympics are here right and I'm like oh so that took like a lot of like planning because <laughs> you know we we're going on the road for I think it was like the first span was uh I think the total span was something like 18 games in 44 days. Wow. All on the road. On because, yeah. All on the road. And you could not get back into the building to get anything. Team USA used the Grizzlies locker room. Um, they had to move the offices out. They relocated them somewhere. Um, you know, and we were just gone. Like, we were like one or two days up at uh, the Accord. And then we went on the road, so I literally had, like, I had to have, like, and we were flying commercial. And, like, so for the first three weeks of that trip, every week we would go through Houston once. So I FedExed a whole bunch of uh, sticks to Houston. And then when we would go through, I would reload to go on the rest of the trip. And then the second three weeks, we would go through Grand Rapids every week. So thank God the schedule worked out like that. And those places allowed me to store equipment and stuff. And then if guys needed like a new pair of skates, I just had the factories hold all the skates and then we would just get them as we needed them during that course of that, uh, six weeks. Wow. Yeah. I don't, you know, I didn't even think about how bad that was on the Grizzlies during the Olympics for, for us as hockey fans here, that was so amazing to have those guys here and to know, you know, that Mike Richter was in that locker room and that goalie stall and that, some of the you know those legendary players. I mean, you get an Olympic team, and that's the best of the best. And for us, it was unreal. But for you guys, that must have just been torture. That's so much re- work. Yeah. It, oh, it was. And then when we finally did get to come home, then you're reverting to putting it all back together. Yeah. 
you know, so it's like you're sitting there going like you're putting it all all back together and you're trying to get it all back. But in the end, it all worked out and everything worked out. And I think we, I think, uh, I think to be honest with you, I think we went like 12 and six in those 18 games. So it was almost like better to play away than it was to play home. You guys had a really good team that year, right? Was, was Scaldi there that year? Yeah. That think... No, Scaldi wasn't there that year. Um, that was the year that, uh, that was the year they were, they shared with Florida. They had the split affiliation. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So I believe that was, I want to say like Chad Elbin and Wade Flaherty. Yeah, it was Flaherty. I remember his, uh, that mask that year, the, he had that Florida mask with the like flamingos on it or something. Yeah. I believe it was like Elbin and Flaherty. Yeah. Because, and then the next year, Corey Hirsch came in. Yeah. Um, and then the third year, it was like you had Mike Smith, Jason Bakashua, yep. and Dan Ellis. You had like a rotating group of, because they were all the young guys coming up with the stars. But yeah, there was a really good team that year. They lost in the second round of the playoffs the first year. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about that goaltending trio last week on the show just because of uh, just how amazing that was to have all those goalies here at the same time. That was unbelievable. And to see, I mean, that, that was a great thing about being in the AHL is just having all that talent come through Utah. I mean, you know. And you think about it, it either went through Utah or it went to, they went to Boise because that was the, well, back then that was the ECHL or the West Coast Hockey League affiliate, either one of them. Uh, they played in both leagues, but yeah, you'd go to Boise and then you could have them back. I mean, there was a lot of good players that came through there with the stars. You had, you know, like, Steve Ganey, Gavin Morgan, John Sim, Dan Janchewski. I mean, yeah. Jim Montgomery, who coaches the Stars, now played for two years there. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's that's cool. And that's it's funny. That's how I get to know a lot of these guys, and they go on to have successful careers. And just because I e-bugged and kind of got to know them, and usually they used me as some kind of a since I was a firefighter and I knew everybody else in town, and they wanted a, like a fishing guide or a hunting guide, so I'd hook them up with firemen. And then just, you know, they could take them out and show them around. And then, you know, the firefighters made some money on the side, and the guys were always happy. I took really good care of Bacashua while he was here. And uh, that's how I ended up with a podcast. It's because I, I know all these guys just because they came through here, and then they went on to be successful because we had such a good organization. But uh, I want to get back I mean, to I, I, Yeah, go ahead. I was no, just no. going to yeah. mention that Tim Mauser thing, how you say he, uh, he forgot to tell you about the Olympics being here. You know, as well as I know, Tim Mauser doesn't forget anything. And he just didn't tell no. you, he didn't tell you until he had you inked and in the in the building that how much work you were gonna have ahead of you. Yeah, he was like, I forgot to tell you, and I was like, <laughs> Well, all right, that's that that that's fine. And then he broke my chops and said that he he wished that the stars would have uh, had a guy affiliated with USA Hockey, so he could have gotten more free stuff. But I said, No, I'm not. <laughs> so now that's the Tim Mauser we know. Yep, that's that's the Tim Mauser you know that's for a, sure. A guy that knows how to work the system. I love that guy. We got to have him on the show too. All right, oh, so you got to get him on there. So you were you were here for four seasons. Yes, that's correct. All right, then. Uh, so you've mentioned some of the guys that came through. What about the guys you got to know here? Like, did you make some uh, besides me being one of your lifetime best friends and someone that you look up to? Uh, yeah. Did you, <laughs> did you get to know some other people here? Like, uh, who sticks out that you got to know while you were here? You know, there was there was just so many great 
people and there's still people like yourself that I talk to. I had people in the building that would end up helping me out. Like, um, that I still talk to like Alan pool, and Jack Renner and those guys, they would all like every day, like they would leave there. And Alan worked at the, um, Hoyt bow and arrow, which was right across the street from the Easton distribution center out by the airport which was great because I'd be like, Hey Alan, I got a box of sticks there waiting for me. Can you bring them down? And it was perfect. Like I I didn't have to wait, you know, but like, uh, Gary Jones, and you know who Gary Jones is like, and now, you know, he's no longer with us, but like him and his wife lettered numbered our game jerseys. And I would go over there and they'd have me over for dinner and stuff. And they saved me a ton of times with guys either, you know, coming down from Dallas or, guys coming up from Boise, like I could literally go by their house. Like, cause you know, we flew commercial. Sometimes we, somebody would meet us like on the road and I would drive by Gary's house at five in the morning and he would just leave the Jersey hanging out on the door handle. Wow. And I would just go over and pick it up in a bag, you know, and take it with me so I could go to the airport and have a, have a nameplate or a Jersey for a player. So he was huge. And then of course, you know, like, uh, Steve Metcalf, all the linesmen, you know, and, and uh, Matt Brickley, who's oh, yeah. you know, no, long, no longer with us. And yeah. those guys, you know, it was a regular little fraternity. And then, of course, yourself. And then, you know, there was a lot of men's leagues guys that uh, I used to know because we used to have those end-of-the-year equipment sales. Oh, yeah. And those guys would all come in. And, and uh, there was a, a lot of guys, you know, and, and even like uh, Tom Horgus, you know. He's yeah. no longer with us, like Horgy and all those guys said, and I'm telling you, people are like, oh, you, you lived there and you liked it. I loved it. Like it was, it was awesome. I, 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 you know, if they would have stayed in the American hockey league, I still might be there to this day. Cause I loved it. So speaking of that, you've seen what's been going on with the American hockey league right now. Uh, yeah. Total West coast league now uh, you know i mean it's got a, a west coast division too and that was a big reason the grizzlies left the uh, american hockey league is it was a million dollars a year travel budget but now with all yeah. these all these teams out here plus having vegas 500 miles away and now we're going to have seattle out here in the nhl uh what do you do you think do you see utah going back to the ahl oh god i wish they would i wish they would i because i i think they i think they could support it and if you had um a close affiliate like seattle i think the people would really rally around it and the american hockey league has set it up where they're themselves down to 76 games and then then that western division is down to 68 games so i mean if you throw a team in salt lake and you go play in california for four games you know all it takes is one flight and then you just jump on the bus and you play a little ping pong you know and then you like take a quick flight down to tucson to go play a couple games and fly back and you could fly over to texas and play a couple games and fly back i mean i really wish it would because the east center is a beautiful building like it's just they have a great setup for the grizzlies like it's it's one of the best setups i've and i mean i've i've worked in a lot of places but that locker room was by far my favorite oh that's good to hear that's interesting yeah, and and the rumors yeah. the rumors keep coming, and I gotta be a hundred percent honest. I have not talked with Grizzlies management about what's going on with it, but I, I've heard yeah. a bunch of different rumors and from people that were, you know, high in the organization. And then 
I don't know if you know, but uh, the Vivint Arena, which used to be the Delta Center when you were here, they've purchased yep. they purchased brand new boards and everything last year for a three game series with the LA Kings, Vancouver Canucks. So we have a summer or we have a preseason game here. We had one last year. We have one coming up this year, and then again next year. And the rumor is either because the Vegas uh, owner flat out said he wanted his affiliate here. And so the, rum- yeah. the the rumors keep flying that either the Grizzlies are going to go, and the only reason they haven't is because Vegas didn't have a- enough players to fill a AHL team yet, but they could at the end of yeah. next year after the draft. So yeah. the rumor is either that's going to happen or somebody else is going to bring an AHL team and put it in the Vivint Arena, which those are all those, those all sound great to me. Yeah, I mean that's and when I worked in. Um, Orlando, we actually lost in the Turner Cup Finals to the Grizzlies, and uh, yeah, we got uh, we got uh, swept there in that series. But we played a couple of games. I mean, that's another beautiful building too. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you got two excellent choices either way, and they deserve it. I mean, there's a lot of hockey fans there. People just don't realize how many hockey fans there are in that valley and how many good players have come out of that valley and how the programs have developed out of that valley now. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with the same people that you were talking about before. Gary Jones, Steve Metcalf, of course Matt Brickley. Those guys have really made changes in this area and really helped develop the, the, the product that we're putting out. I mean, we've got uh, you know, we've got nine players. Well, I think we've got thirteen players playing NCAA at some level, either Division One or to Division Three. Uh, we got kids in major juniors this year. I mean, it, we really have made a, a big step, and I'd like to, I'd like to see us go to the next level. I'd like to see us back in the AHL. Um, tell me too. Uh, so you leave here and you go to New York. That's got to be amazing to be a New York boy and end up back with the Islanders. Was that if you could have picked one of the three teams to go to in New York? Who, what would have been your pick? That that would have I would have picked the Islanders because growing up um, you were either a Buffalo Sabres fan, you're an Islanders fan, you're a Rangers fan. We did not get um, any uh, Rangers or Sabres games because um, they were on like the the pay channels. They were on like MSG, but the Islanders and the Devils played on Sports Channel. So that was part of our TV package in upstate New York. And actually, the other TV channel that was part of that package was WSBK out of Boston. So I watched a lot of Bruins games. Oh. But I, I I would have been either, in, uh, you know, and having worked for the Devils to go back and work for the Islanders was awesome. The ironic part about that story is is that was the year of another full lockout, 0405, and the Coyotes were the Utah affiliate at the time and that's when Utah decided they didn't want to play in the American Hockey League anymore and the Coyotes were going to San Antonio and the Coyotes asked me to hold out and give them two weeks to get their deal done in San Antonio and within that time the Dallas Stars gave me a three-year contract to go to Des Moines, Iowa because that was going to be their new affiliate. So I signed the contract to go back with the Stars I moved to Des Moines for four weeks, and then my buddy that I grew up with in Utica was the head equipment manager for the New York Islanders, and he called me up and he goes, uh, I need you to come to New York. So I had to go get, well, back then there was no compensation, but I had to get released by the stars 
in order to go work for the Islanders because I had just signed a contract. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, so that's how I got to um, New York. Yep. So tell me, and, I'm going to ask you about a couple of the guys that you that you were with, and sure on the island there, because yeah. All right, as an equipment seller at one point, as an equipment rep, I had some interaction with Rick DiPietro. Yes. And it was uh, pretty unique, to, to say yeah, the least. He, he's, Tell, a un- he's a unique individual, to I, say the least. I, yeah. I know. I, I've had a lot of conversations with you about him. I know you, you hold him in high regard and have thought a lot about him, but what was it like to be his equipment guy? Well, let's just say it's a very unique situation. Um and I, I, I just saw him two weeks ago at an Islanders alumni charity function, and uh, he hasn't changed a bit, even though he doesn't play anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, he was definitely different. Um, he was, um, uh, how do you want to put it? Uh, he was very high maintenance, and uh, but uh, if you uh, took care of him, he was um, always very appreciative, and but he was always one of those guys that he was the comedian, you know, class clown. And we had two of them. We had him and Gar Snow, and when they teamed up on you, they <laughs> could just get nasty. I can only they tried imagine. Throwing, they, uh, they tried throwing me in a clothes dryer once. Um, <laughs> they put me in a figure four leg lock to see if it really worked. What? Um, uh, DiPietro D- was ripped, right? Like, he was a built dude. He, that guy loved lifting weights, so that's... He's... Well, you know, you know what, James? When I first got there, he wasn't. And then the second year I was there, he came back and went on a serious, hardcore workout program. He kept the black book. And the name of that black book was My Body is a Temple. And he would write down everything he ate in the black book. And he was shredded. He came back. And the league had just implemented the rules where he had to measure the goalies for the upper bodies and the pants. Yeah. Um, so goalies couldn't wear double XL pants with size 32 waist. Right, right. And the Gar Snow the rule. Gear, the Gar Snow rule, basically. Yeah. Well, the chest gear they sent in for him didn't fit. So we had to get Kay Whitmore to fly down from Toronto, remeasure him, go through it all again, and then get another upper body made because he was just that shredded. He was just that jacked. Like that summer, he had just gotten his new contract, and he had decided that that was going to be, you know, he was going to just get into it, and he got into it. Then, unfortunately, he started having the hip problems. Right. And he had a couple knee problems. And, you say new contract. Well, that was like the longest contract in the history of the NHL, right? Didn't he sign some ridiculous, especially for a goalie? It was like uh, what I can't remember what it was. Oh, it Ten was, years, fourteen years. Like, no, it was. Uh, I think it was like thirteen years, sixty-five million or something. Yeah, or it was just some astronomical number. And um, I remember my first year, the owner Charles Wong wanted to give it to him, and Mike Milbury was the GM, and Mike said, "Not a chance." Mike said, "You'll have to take me out of the building in a body bag before I'll sign that contract." Wow! So then, when Garth became the GM, then Charles went to Garth, and then Garth ended up giving it to him. But Mike, Mike refused. Mike, Mike refused to give him that contract. He's like, "There's no way I'm giving him that deal." Well, that's just such a but, huge gamble on a goaltender because goalies yeah. don't typically. I I don't know. Not many goalies last 13 years. No. And I think it was just Charles Moore wanting to um, <clears throat> make a splash, you know, make a media splash. Yeah. Because well, at worked. the time, yeah. 
Yeah, like when I first started with the Islanders, they weren't doing very well. and They struggled for fans. Like, they would give us eight season tickets to give away just to try to get people in the building. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember hearing those stories. And then and you talk about, you know, one of, one more thing on uh, DiPietro. I remember when he got drafted. And the announcer, I, I want to say, I can't even remember who it was, but he said, here's a kid you're drafting that's that's ego so big that when, when the equipment manager packs him up, he's going to need a, a bag for his gear and a bag for his ego. Because he, he was yeah. very confident, as yeah. you could say. So uh, yeah. you're at the Fats Femme Show now, which is yeah, uh, the, the professional hockey athletic trainers and equipment manager show. Where you guys get to go through yep. and you get to see all the new gear that's coming out, all the new, um, and then the the trainers get to see all the new techniques of of you know recovery or, or whatever. But I remember I was there the year that uh, Tavares was drafted. So you and I were together uh, when you got the phone call that, that that you did indeed get the first overall pick. Can you? Yeah, I think we're in Phoenix, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it was in Phoenix because you do. Yes. You guys are, it's nice you guys take care of yourselves because one year you're at that resort in Phoenix and then the next, you, you rotate it, right? And then the next year you're in Florida. Is that how you guys still do it? No, what they do is they they um, they they go to different places and what they do is they do it and uh, they book the rooms in five-year blocks. So like uh, last year we were in, um, uh, last year we were in Orlando. This year now today I'm in uh, Austin, Texas, where it's like 111 out. Oof. And then next year it's in uh, Orlando again, and then the year after that it's in Phoenix. Oh, okay. At that gorgeous yeah. Marriott Resort there in Phoenix? Yes, it is. It's at that gorgeous resort in uh, Phoenix. But I've been here since Tuesday, and we today is the first day of the exhibits, actually. And as, as uh, I told you, I was going to go over by the goalie exhibit and see if I can't chum some stuff for you from Vaughn. Yeah, yeah, I'll take whatever. I'm a Brian's guy, yeah. but I'll take whatever. All right, I'll <laughs> see if I can't hit the Brian's guys up. All right, so um, tell me about that day where because did it? I, if I remember right, they ended up flying you away from that show, and you went right back and started dealing with. They were bringing Tavares in, and for the. Because the rookie camp started right away, right after draft, right? And yeah, so, what was it yeah, like to have a player of that, that caliber coming in and that, that much anticipation? Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, he was so um, timid, so shy, so polite. It was unreal. It was unreal. He was so, like, he was so shy. Like, I don't think for the first two days I was there, I could have said more than 10 words to him because the minute he got drafted, he was a CCM player head to toe. So CCM made him pants right away. They made him gloves. They sent the helmets right into New York. Like it was at basically the uh, PR people came back from the draft with everything for him because like CCM had anticipated him getting drafted by the Islanders. So they had everything in that draft. I believe that year was in Montreal. Oh, yeah. So, and CCM is all right there. So yeah, I think for the first couple of days, I didn't really talk to him. And then our head equipment manager said to me, he's like, yeah, he goes, I want you to deal with John. And I said, okay. And I, I walked up to him. I said, John, I said, you want your skate sharpened? And he kind of looked at me and he goes, yeah. And then 
it kind of broke the ice. And then eventually after that, you know, he grew out of his shell. But they had a lot of good, uh, they had a lot of good mentors around for him. Like they brought in uh, Doug Waite, Bill Guerin, Mike Sillinger, oh, yeah. and Johnny. And Johnny actually lived in Dougie Waite's pool house, which was his guest house. Like Sidney Crosby lived at Mario Lemieux's. Johnny lived at Dougie's for two years. Wow. Yeah, with Matt Molson, because Johnny was very tight with Matt Molson. And when the Islanders had signed Matt Molson as a, a free agent from the L.A. Kings system, they uh, they lived together in Dougie's pool house. Yeah, see, that's one of the things I think hockey does right, uh, that the NHL teams do right. I, I don't know that any other sport does it where – Sometimes they'll even just bring in a senior guy that's known as a, a father figure in the locker room, or you know, there, there's already a guy there. Like, well, to have to be Sidney Crosby and to be able to go live with Mario Lemieux, and you know, they've got uh, what's his name, Kachuk's kids living with. You know, the, you know, they end up leaving, living with these guys that help raise them because you got an 18 year old that's just been drafted and been handed a couple million dollars and. Those kids could go wrong really quick or you have huge egos like DiPietro and make a lot of mistakes. But you have a father figure there, and it's I think it's so smart that they just put him in a, a house or bring a guy in to help kind of raise him, make sure he doesn't make those mistakes yeah. that young players make. They did, and you could tell, too, that John was taking it all in. And John even sat next to uh, Dougie. He sat next to Doug Waite. And uh, Billy Guerin was right there. Mike Sillinger was right there. And we had Alexa Yashin was there at the time. And, yeah, we had, like, a lot of older guys flown around, Mark Parrish. So it was really good for John because he saw what everybody did and he picked took little pieces of everybody's routines, you know, and incorporated them into making his own routine. Yeah. So, yeah. so you got it to see good. him grow up from an 18-year-old to – like you got to see his leadership qualities in the locker room. Was he a true leader in the locker room? He is. John. John's. Um, John's quiet, um, but he speaks up when he has to, and I think John just leads through. Um, he leads through his actions, like his dedication to the game, his um, dedication to. Pre- he is the most one of the most prepared players you'll ever meet. Like constantly, like going over video, constantly asking the coaches for more video, um, reading uh, sheets, scouting reports. Like, he is, like, on top of it. And it was pretty – it's pretty neat, to be honest with you, when um, you're w- with one organization as I was because I got to watch John grow up. I watched uh, Matt Molson grow up. I watched Josh Bailey grow up. Right. Josh Bailey literally started when he was 18. Now, now he's got two kids. I watched Casey Zizekas grow up. Uh, yeah, it's it's so different to watch those guys. You know, you work with them at a rookie camp. They go back to juniors, and then eventually they start in the American Hockey League or they start in the NHL, and then they start. You know, they get their girlfriends, and then eventually they get married. And they have kids, and you're like, wow. Like next thing you know, you're like, holy. Like what happened? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's so cool. That's. And for everybody else in the world, they just see a guy that's in the NHL. They just figure, all right, well, there's a guy that's in the NHL, so he's mature and he's got his life going or whatever. But you get to really get to know them as people and watch them develop and change and mature. I've got to see it a little bit recently with players and just – it's fun. Well, I've got to watch it with Trevor Lewis. 
You know, I've really yeah. got, I've I've got to watch him mature and 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 become a you know a functioning man, and uh, it, that's been pretty cool. I got I got to admit. So you got to have some strong feelings towards Tavares, and uh, he's he's kind of family to you. You've been around him forever. So he goes to Toronto, makes a makes you know a professional decision to go to Toronto, and then comes back to the island for that game last year. And you saw how they treated him. How how were you feeling about that? Yeah, I I think uh, I think a lot of people like I I was in uh, last summer. I was in Costco and I had an Islanders T-shirt on and. The lady said, oh, she said, I'm not very happy with the Islanders. And I said, why? And she said, well, you know, John Tavares left. And, and all I could say to the lady was, "Is um, you know, ma'am, you just don't know everything that went on with it. You know what I mean? Like, there's more that goes on to it than people know about. There's um, decisions that players have to make that aren't just necessarily always based off money. You right. know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's fa- family that plays a role. There's um, childhood dreams sometimes that play a role. There's a lot of things that go into it. And when that player makes his initial announcement, and on top of it all, people are like, well, you know, we're kind of mad because he didn't ask to be traded or whatever. And what what I tell people is, how do you know he didn't ask to be traded? You know what I mean? Maybe, Maybe the GM was under pressure to not trade him from ownership. You know what I mean? And just let it play out the way it played out. There's so many scenarios that people don't know on the outside Right. that people, even myself, I had no idea. Like I had no clue. Like I had no clue. I, and, and honestly, in all my heart, I, I thought he was going to resign, like, but I had no, no idea either. So there's a lot of things people don't know. There's a lot of variables that go into that decision. Let's just say that decision wasn't made within five minutes. Right, right. Well, I think every, I thought he was going to resign too. I thought a lot of that. I've got to see the other side of this. I was um, present when Zach Parisi went through a lot of this with New Jersey, and what a lot of people don't yeah. know that that decision was kind of made for Zach two years prior to that, when the Devils spent all their money on Kovalchuk and were not going to have salary cap room to resign him. Now, granted, Kovalchuk ended up retiring, but you know the Devils had kind of picked back then who they were going to yeah. keep. And then Zach, you know, it started working out that Zach was going to go home and play in in Minnesota. And that, you know, a lot of people had a lot of things to say. Of course, any time you get in the NHL a ten-year, hundred million dollar contract offer, you got to that's got to play a big part in making your decision. Plus, if you can go home. But with Tavares, I mean, did it break your heart to see the fans treat him that way, though? Yeah, like, and I, I was watching. You know, I watched it on TV, and I was just, I, I was like, it just. They don't. They don't get it. You know. I no. mean, like, he's not a traitor. He's not a snake. He's not. You know. It's just these these people. I mean, I get. I understand. They get that dedicated and they get that into it. But in the long run, I don't think the people realize what goes into those decisions sometimes. Right. And you know, New York's be known as being a tough place to play. And if you, you know, you come back in that. Wearing the enemy sweater after being like he was highly regarded in that market for so long that uh, oh. I, I knew it was going to be bad. I just didn't know it'd be that bad. I I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. Yeah, I didn't think it would be that bad either. And uh, but he got through it and he lived with it for two games, I believe, and 
that was it, you know. Yeah, and the Islanders had an amazing year, and hopefully people forgive and forget and move on. And and uh, I, I think good things are going to happen for the Islanders. They're just I, – I saw a thing. I, they still have, like – this year they have – they're one of the top five teams for salary cap space, so they have some some real opportunities to make some improvements. Oh yeah, yeah, they're yeah, they're they're going to be in really really good shape. Yeah. They're going to be in good shape for sure. So Shaky, where are you at now? You you left the Islanders, you know there's big shakeups in the Islanders and you end up where? Where are you now? I'm with the uh Kalamazoo Wings in the East Coast Hockey League. We are the uh East Coast Hockey League affiliate of the Vancouver Canucks, which makes our American Hockey League affiliate the Utica Comets. <laughs> oh wow. Full, yeah. Almost full circle. Yeah, so it all kind of bleeds. It all kind of bleeds back into it. But yes, they are our affiliate. So and uh, you know, so I am uh, back, uh, semi back affiliated with the team back from where I am. Yeah, but it's 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 a it's a it's a good thing, you know. Um, Sometimes uh, change is not always what you want at first, but sometimes it's a good thing in the long run. Well, because I know a couple openings came up, and I know Utah came open, and uh, I reached out to you right away when I knew that was happening, and you said, "No, I'm good. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm not like you were. Uh, you're really liking it there." And I, I've always liked Kalamazoo way back in the day, and then um, you know we had a Utah goalie there before with Jeff Levy. And uh, yeah, in fact, be, yes. Rich, I don't know if he re-signed. I don't know what the deal is, but you had, well, I don't know if he came to you, but you guys had Bachman in Utica. He's a Utah guy. Did you know that, Richard Bachman? No. Yeah, I didn't know. I did not know that Yeah, He was in Utica, too. I didn't know he was a Utah guy. Yeah. he uh, He's from oh. Salt Lake, came to my camps. Like, my first two years of camp, uh, Richard was a student at my camp, and then they sent him away to prep school in Massachusetts, I think, and then he ended up with the Idaho Stillheads in one of the games, or a few of the games that I backed up for Idaho. I was backing him up and got to talk to him a lot, and it was just kind of funny. He's like, oh, I remember you teaching me how to do a skate save and stack my pads, and obviously that's all thrown out the window now. Nobody does that anymore, but it was, uh, yeah, so I, I don't, I can't, I've, I've reached out to him a couple times to have him on the show, and I, I know he had a rough year NHL-wise, I know he got pulled up and didn't do very well. I'm interested to see where he ends up. All right, yeah, no, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not really sure what what's uh, going on with that uh, that stuff. I don't really have a uh, clue until I get back to Kalamazoo and they give me a list and say, "Here you go." Right. Yeah, I think I I, I was looking into it. I think this was the last year in his contract, and I, the way things went this year, I'd be surprised to see him stay with Vancouver. I'd, I'd almost expect to see him in like the DEL next year or something, but I could be wrong. I, you never know. I'm, no, you, you don't exactly. Yeah, you never know. I, I host a hockey show, but I'm the last guy that should be uh, forecasting anything because my I had a great bracket, had a bracket league, all these people in it. Thought I knew exactly what was going to happen. I had uh, I'd picked Vegas and Tampa Bay to fight for the Stanley Cup, and uh, I didn't have. I don't think I had one team advance out of my bracket from the first round. So. I Apparently, I just do a lot of guesswork. Yeah, my bracket got destroyed too. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear I wasn't the only one. Like, it was amazing. Even the NHL Network had they they had their own brackets. Uh, NHL.com, where they're like, you know what, we're going to let you guys do have a second chance because nobody got the first. Yeah, round right. 
exactly. Well, yes. Sh- well, Shaky, it's uh, it's it's awesome to talk to you and catch up, man. And I hope you have an awesome summer. Do equipment guys really get a summer? Do you do you get a yes, little bit of time uh, to re- relax? Yes, we do. We get a couple months a couple months off to rest and relax, and then uh, get back at it. Usually around the first week of September. All right, perfect. Well, enjoy yes. your time. I, I appreciate you breaking your uh, your summer vacation for us. And uh, you know, I'll send you my address if you uh, hit hit over there by that Brian's booth, and they've got any any samples they'd like a forty six year old to uh, to try out for them. I'd, I'd be more than happy to do that. All right, I'm going to go over there right now and find out. <laughs> All right. Well, if Karen's there, you tell her hi from me. All right, I sure will. All right, Shaky. Well, uh. For anybody else that's listening, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet, just remember, all you got to do is go to kslsports.com and look for podcasts. We're right there. You can always text the word PUCK to 57500. That gets you, you, know, you signed up. It's pretty simple. Uh, wherever, get, wherever you get your podcast, look for the Utah Puck Report and make sure to subscribe to us. That's how we keep this thing going. And uh, once again, that's the Utah Puck Report.